but you can't really start that healing process until you turn the mirror from an external position to an internal position and, and, and be honest with yourself. I feel like I just went to therapy. As, I, as I've gotten older, a, a big chunk of what we do is just protecting people from themselves. Mm-hmm. And a, a big chunk of that is the psychology of money. And, and that's why we've labeled our podcast Blind Spots. Welcome to Blind Spots, a podcast where we're helping you fill the gap between what you want to do with your money and what you actually do. We are professional investors, writers, and financial planners helping you navigate the complexities of finance to optimize what you can control and cut out the rest. Join your host, Nick Shermans and Aaron Varghese, as we discuss the questions and nuances surrounding everyday money management. Investment advisory services offered through Pure Portfolios, a registered investment advisor with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Nick Shermans and Aaron Varghese work for Pure Portfolios. Any opinions expressed by Nick and Aaron or any podcast guest are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pure Portfolios. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. It should not be construed as legal or tax advice and is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified attorney or tax professional. Clients of Pure Portfolios may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. This information is not an offer or solicitation to buy or sell securities. The information contained may have been compiled from third-party sources and is believed to be reliable. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Blind Spots. There have been a lot of conversations recently regarding market volatility. Clients are spooked, and prospective clients typically feel paralyzed during times like these, so everyone wants to know what happens next. And last week, Nick uploaded a video about managing market volatility, about what to do when things get squirrely, and how recent market events, such as changes in Fed policy, typically come along as a bumpy ride. But most importantly, one of the topics that he covered was how the serenity of 2021 has distorted investors' capacity for volatility. So today we're doing a deep dive on how bull markets affect our perception of normal market behavior. That's right. So we're going to talk about what the last, really, 12 years of minor disruptions, you know, there's been a couple bouts that have been scary. 2020 comes to mind. But I feel like investors' baseline for both return expectations and volatility is out of whack with typical ebbs and flows of market cycles. So today we're going to talk about some of the symptoms of investor attitudes in a bull market and what you can do to get in front of when the next cycle turns, how you can not be caught offside, you can you can build a portfolio that reflects the way that you feel about, about risk, and you can avoid some of these suboptimal decisions, which we'll provide some examples of towards the end of the podcast. So when we were prepping for this podcast episode, Nick, you had an interesting parallel or metaphor from a Ronald Reagan campaign. So tell us a little bit about that. So this is before your time, Aaron. I don't mean to age you or myself, but (laughs) back when Reagan was president, he launched this campaign, this advertising campaign for the war on drugs. And most listeners over 35, let's call it, are going to know exactly what I'm talking about. So they showed an egg being cracked in a pan and they were like, this is your brain. And then they throw the egg in the pan. It's on high heat and this is your brain on drugs. And it's, the egg is sizzling and, and then it pans out, say, say no to drugs or whatever the slogan was. But, you know, it basically shows the effects of drugs on the brain using an egg as an, as an analogy. 
And I think that that was a, a powerful graphic and it got the point across. I'm not saying that campaign was successful or not, but it, it was a very clear visual way to try to capture the way the brain reacts to drugs. And I feel like in this environment, there there's a, a an investor mindset in a normal market environment which features down markets and up markets and all, and all sorts of stages in a cycle. And then there's the backdrop of 12 years of up markets where investors are almost conditioned to expect year over year of positive returns. And it does start to alter your mindset. So we're going to highlight a few of those things. So how do you feel like the last 12 years specifically have affected how investors feel about the markets? Sure. So. First, to look at what's actually happened. So post-financial crisis from March of 2009 up until now, really, markets have gone straight up. And there's been some exceptions, but for the sake of simplicity, let's assume the market has gone straight up. I think the long-term average for the S&P is around 8%. The last 12 years has been closer to 14 or 15%. And I think that that resets expectations where... 10 plus percent is, is the new normal. It's the, it's the new expectation. That's the baseline in which we're working off of. And so when you look at investor expectations for future years, I think it was Natixis that put out this study, people are expecting 15 plus percent returns. And it's even more egregious for younger people that are dabbling in crypto and dabbling in the riskiest corners of the stock market, they're expecting over 20% returns a year, which if, if you're a student of market history, which, which we are, that's just not sustainable. And it's, it's unrealistic to achieve those returns from current market levels, right? So starting point is a big deal when you're looking at future return opportunities. And our current starting point is in the 99th de decile, 99th most expensive across multiple equity asset classes. So I think a lot of investors are setting themselves up for disappointment. We talked about this before, but there's this whole group of people who have really never experienced, aside from 2020, turmoil in the markets. Well, I mean, you're really speaking to your cohort. I mean, you and your peers have never experienced in your working careers, a difficult market environment. And I think that mm -hmm. desensitizes you to risk. You're, you're more prone to being complacent. And look, the, the recent bout that we had in 2020, that even was not a typical down market cycle. I mean, that, that was the shortest bear market in history where the market basically snapped back up as quick as it fell. That's really not typical. So what that creates is a, is a generation of delusional investors that are dabbling in crypto. They're shunning normal market returns in public markets of, of 10% to pursue the riskiest corners of the stock market and crypto market, trying to be influencers or 100x their portfolio or buy a Lambo or whatever the kids are doing on social media these days. It's completely not grounded in reality and it doesn't end well. It'll be really interesting to see how it kind of all plays out and we won't know for another like decade or two or three or four when this generation is reaching retirement. So it's just kind of interesting to observe this in real time. Yeah. And I've said this before, a bull market covers up a lot of mistakes. It covers up a lot of warts and everybody's a genius. I mean, it's been really hard to miss over the last decade. And that creates, again, a, a generation of investors that have had success. They, they might not have a process. They, not, they might not have a way to manage risk but they're so overconfident because they're confusing their outcome with skill. 
Yeah, you've written about this before in a blog titled When Being Right is a Curse. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so so for people that are that are invested and they have a meaningful amount of money that they need, maybe it's to retire, maybe it's to buy a house, they they tend to get protective of it and they want to avoid losses at all costs. And so they'll do things like sell 100% of their balance portfolio and go to 100% cash. Okay. And the premise of being right is a curse is, is that's a mistake in and of itself. But the worst thing out of doing something like that, blowing out of your entire portfolio and going to cash is if you're right, because you're going to do it again and again and again. And as the money grows, as your portfolio builds, you have the potential to make a catastrophic mistake. So this was actually a story that, that happened to me. A friend asked about moving his 401k to 100% cash. And I, I don't think you should do that, but not for the reasons that most advisors would tell you. The biggest risk would being right. And, and he was just completely baffled by that. And then I explained why. Yeah, that's really interesting. So with all of that information in mind, how do investors go about framing expectations going forward? And what type of risk is appropriate for them? Like how does someone figure that out? So I'm gonna invert that a little bit because I like to do that. It helps bring clarity. So what you do not want to do is find your true risk tolerance during a market meltdown. And I feel like that's what a lot of people did in 2020, you know, including some of our clients who we thought that we knew them, we thought we had framed their acceptable range of outcomes. But when the stuff hits the fan, it's impossible to recreate that fear and emotion. Mm -hmm. So what you do not want to have happen is to be invested a certain way. Again, let's say it's 60, 40, but not understand that a, a loss of 25% is a possibility. And since you didn't understand that, and that actually occurs, then you completely abort your long-term investment plan. That's the worst case, the worst case outcome. So I'm gonna outline a few things that people can do today to identify some of their cognitive and emotional biases that can result in an incorrect asset allocation it does take some honesty, it takes some self-reflection. And I think the best way to capture this is to look at past behavior. So, you know, look back at the last 10 years, let's say, and try to identify periods of market stress where you maybe acted outside of your long-term investment plan. And this sounds really simple, but it's, it's, it's hard for people to be honest with themselves when they've made a mistake, especially when it costs them money. Which is why I, I always like if you're if you're a do-it-yourself investor or you work with another advisor, write down some of your emotions and things that you're feeling and how that relates to your decision-making process in the moment, because it's really good to self-reflect and go back and look at that if you did make a mistake. But you can't really start that healing process until you turn the mirror from an external position to an internal position and and, and be honest with yourself. I feel like I just went to therapy. As I as I've gotten older. A big chunk of what we do is just protecting people from themselves. Mm -hmm. And a, a big chunk of that is the psychology of money. And, and that's why we've labeled our podcast blind spots. So back to your question, Aaron, look at your past behavior. Don't find your risk tolerance, your true risk tolerance during times of market stress. From a, from a tangible standpoint, and, and I've said this before, but I think risk tolerance questionnaires, the way they're built today, are antiquated one again it's really hard to recreate the the fear and emotion that comes with the market sell-off 
so a lot of these stupid questions taken out of context, really, like, hey, if the market fell by 15%, would you A, sell, B, buy, C, do nothing? It's like people are just mentally checked out, and they're just going to probably pick buy more, even though that's probably not what they would do. So we like to use a tool that shows people range of outcomes, okay? If you have a million dollars invested today, over the next six months, it's possible for you to lose 100000 Are Are you okay with that? No? Okay, well, we need to tighten up the risk in that portfolio, okay? So by focusing on range of outcomes, you can bring a tangible meaning to risk because we, we all know what risk is, but in the context of an investment portfolio, sometimes that can get lost. So we, we always deal with risk in percentage range of outcomes and dollar range of outcomes, a loss of 100,000, a gain of 150,000, okay? That's easy to understand, okay? So, so once you've done that, we can build a portfolio that fits into that range of outcomes, okay? So under a normal market environment, a regular sell, the portfolio that we build today is going to fit within your acceptable range of investment outcomes. That sounds really simple, but you would be surprised how many people are either taking way more risk than they set out to or not enough. The second thing that you can do is if you do not work with an advisor or if you work with an advisor that doesn't know what they're doing on the investment side, which is more common than you'd think, create a process and make sure you understand their process if you're working with an advisor on rebalancing, on buy-sell decisions, on how they're making decisions on which asset classes to overweight and underweight and, how, and what, what their plan is for managing risk going forward, okay? And a really good question to ask is, so if you're working with an advisor or you're interviewing an advisor, ask how they handled the spring of 2020. What was their framework for pairing back risk? How did they prepare their clients for an event like that? Yeah, and that's just so good. Sh shut up and listen after that. You may not have anybody to listen to. And if they, if they don't have an answer or they're stumbling about, find another advisor. I think that's probably one of the most common things that we hear from people who are interviewing us is that their current advisor really doesn't have a framework for making decisions. And so when we present ours, they're like, oh, wow, that actually makes sense. Well, and, and how so many advisors make these decisions is based on their own personal views. Mm -hmm, gut and instinct. Personally, I, I wouldn't want my advisor making gut instinct calls in this environment because nothing has really made sense. Humans think in a linear fashion, cause and effect, and it just hasn't been a, a good way to make investment decisions. And then the other thing is, is we all, and I've said this before, we all have personal biases and experiences that shape the way that we view money. We're, we're currently living in the most polarizing political climate ever. Would you really want your advisor getting more conservative or more aggressive based on who's sitting in the White House, and if that jives with their own personal beliefs. I mean, you would be shocked at how many advisors do that. The last thing and prob probably the most important thing that I'll say, and this applies to everybody, and I'm talking to myself included, we talk a lot about symptoms and investment mistakes people make. They're all rooted at the head of the snake. And the head of the snake is getting comfortable with negative investment outcomes. Almost every poor behavior that we talk about comes from people trying to avoid negative investment outcomes. So just know that's part of the cost of admission. You can't get plus 15% without taking the occasional minus 10% or worse. It's, it's a natural ebb and flow. It doesn't mean your portfolio is broken. It doesn't mean the market's broken. It doesn't mean it's rigged. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything. 
negative investment returns, negative investment outcomes are completely normal. As soon as you accept that, the more liberating it'll be and the less prone to making these catastrophic errors you'll be. So when someone is in the position where, let's say, market's having a little bit of a downturn, they're starting to feel uncomfortable, what kind of advice do you give to that person? Well, if they're getting uncomfortable based on what's happening now, I'd say to get a grip on reality because this is nothing. And then I, I would go back to the things that we can control. Build a portfolio that reflects the way that you feel about risk. You can't embrace risk during good times and shun it during bad times. Let's get comfortable with the potential negative outcome. I mean, are we trying to lose money in the stock market? No, but know that it's, it's a potential outcome. So it, it just comes from a, an education process. You know, some, some people have cognitive biases, which we can, we can educate them out of other people have emotional biases, which are, which are much more tough to manage for those folks. You talk in big picture, you know, you tend to, tend to zoom out and look at the bigger picture items like planning and optimizing taxes and, and building a portfolio that they understand and they're comfortable with. But, but part of our job is to, is to get to know our clients so we can communicate with them in a way that they understand, mm -hmm. which in turn allows them or increases the likelihood that they'll stick to their long-term plan. Yeah. So you said that negative outcomes are just kind of the cost of admission, the cost of investing. So what mistakes do you see investors making when trying to avoid losses? Well, probably the most egregious is the market timer who is 100% equities, let's say, and they've enjoyed outsized gains on their equity portfolio. The first sign of trouble or something they've read or a tweet sets them off and they think a crash is coming. So they, they sell everything and they go to 100% cash. And I've seen this time and again. And one thing remains consistent. The, the decision to sell is easy. That's the easiest thing. The decision to get reinvested is what people butcher time and again. And there's a saying that the, the correction that most people prepare for is worse than the actual correction, which basically means if, if you're selling and go to 100% cash and the market goes up by 30% and then has a 10% pullback and you get reinvested then, you just, caught, you just cost yourself hundreds of thousands of dollars on a million dollar portfolio. Like that's, mm -hmm. not, that's not sage advice. That's not a, a good investment process. You're destroying value. Yeah. The other thing that I see quite often is people embracing risk when times are good. So, you know, they might say they're a, they're an 80, 20 investor, 80% stock and 20% bonds. But then when the market turns, like they want to get really conservative. Well, you're not invested correctly. You're not an 80, 20 investor. You're probably much more fitted for a more conservative portfolio. Yeah. I think you said in one of your blogs, something along the lines of the worst advice you can get is stay the course if you're not on the right path. Right. Well, that's, that's the default advice for 99% of advisors is to stay the course. And that's, that's hardly the worst advice, but it's bad to stay the course. If you're invested incorrectly, if you're paying too much in fees, if your portfolio is not tax efficient. So it's a, it's a blessing and a curse. And, and at the end of the day, I think it's lazy advice if, if that's all you have to offer your clients. Very true. I think that that is a good segue into our bad actor of the week. So our bad actor of the week this week is the former rep who pled guilty to running a $50 million bogus CD scheme. So this former registered rep is facing up to 25 years in prison for his role in a $50 million scheme involving bogus websites and certificate of deposits. 
From 2012 to 2020, he ran an internet-based scheme that included setting up websites designed to resemble websites operated by real and reputable financial institutions. These websites advertised various types of investments, mostly CDs, that offered higher than average return rates. There's your red okay. flag right there. That's, yeah, so so pause there. So so before you finished, mm -hmm. I, I already knew it, it was a CD offering above average rates. And this is becoming more of a thing as rates have been low for really the last decade. People are just yeah. so thirsty for yield that they'll believe anything. And 99% and of these fraudsters lead with above average or higher than average rate. So if it's detached from reality, if it's detached from what everyone else is offering, then it's probably way too good to be true. And I see annuity salesmen doing this a lot where mm -hmm. they'll, they'll be pitching a whole life insurance policy or an annuity with the promise of above average rates of return. And, and when you actually think about how insurance companies who are the biggest sellers of annuity and insurance, obviously, they, they have mandates. These insurance companies have mandates on how they can invest them. And they're investing in the same public market same public stock market, same public bond market as everyone else can, yet they're offering these outsized rates of return. It's like, it, it just doesn't add up. You can't pay out 5% in a 0% world. So I think yeah. people need to be rooted in common sense, rooted in reality, but sounds too good to be true. It is. That's exactly what I was going to say. But they ended up setting up over 150 websites that have now been identified and at least 70 victims have fallen trap for these false investment opportunities. So the SEC states that the scheme targeted primarily older adults and resulted in at least $40 million in losses, which is a lot of money. Sad. Well, I hope uh, he or she gets the max of 25 years and never works in finance again. So it's just a lesson. Pay attention to what you're doing. Trust your gut instinct. If it feels too good to be true, it probably is. Make sure that you're able to verify what you are exactly investing in, where you're sending your money, the people who you're talking to, all of our licenses and things are public information. So you can look up anyone really who works in the financial industry. So yeah. Okay. Thanks for listening to Blind Spots this week. We'll see you next time.